This is McShane Bible Study Day 27, starting in Genesis 28, and I'm here with Weston again. Say hi. Hello. So we start out with Jacob uh, being sent to Laban, right? And he I, Isaac sends him away because of uh, what Rebecca had said to him, and it, it's a little bizarre that you know how 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 much this family is marrying into each other. But one thing that we see is that God is blessing this particular family as one that he wants to build the foundation of his people. And we see that um, how important family is to God. Um, God wants mankind to be his family that represents him to all the world and so we see that picture through abraham's family we see you know for it started with abraham apparently sarah was like a half sister and then um and then isaac and then jacob (laughs) it's very this you know (laughs) this is a little bizarre if you think about it naturally and we certainly wouldn't want to apply that to ourselves but if we look at the spiritual meaning of um, what God is showing here. It's this picture of family and a, a certain family, like Noah's family was preserved for the flood. God always wants to, the ideal way that his life is supposed to have been put passed down through Adam was through a family, right? And then, but now there's a picture of a spiritual family through Christ, which of course should be, if we have kids, that, that should be our natural family as well. Um, but bigger and, and greater than that is the spiritual family of God. And we see Esau sees this. Esau could never quite grasp the way of God. He always wanted to accomplish things through his own power. And so we see Esau, here's what uh, Isaac says to Jacob, and he goes and does the same thing. Uh, he finds a daughter of Ishmael to marry to please God. But again, under his own power, he's trying to accomplish these things. Jacob was certainly conniving in, in, in bringing this situation about, but he was sent by his father. So that's a big difference. And so then, then Jacob has this thing in, in Bethel uh, where it, this is commonly called Jacob's Ladder where um, he has this dream and he sees the ladder reaching to heaven and he says angels of God ascending and descending and this might you might remember uh, Jesus telling what is the is it Andrew one of the disciples comes to Jesus early on when he's gathering the disciples and uh, he says you know he saw him under the fig tree and he says oh you believe just because of this I tell you you will see uh, is it angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man? Remember when Jesus says that? No? Well, he does. And so it's a direct picture of this. And so then where does he go from, from this important picture? We see the offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. This is God's promise to him. And so spread out abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So it's going beyond just his family, but now he's saying all the earth, members of God's family will be found throughout all the earth through 
the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it, it, something uh, we'll talk about tomorrow night, if you join us, is the fact that Sarah represented the desolate woman. Uh, Isaiah talks a lot about the desolate woman. We see uh, uh, Israel and uh, Judah both as the desolate woman. Um, we see Revelation talk about this this desolate woman, and there's a split apart. But then the woman is redeemed by God, and so that's we saw that in Sarah's life. And now through this family, there's redemption for mankind, where God, mankind had been very far from God, but now they're coming back into the way of God. And you know, uh, Jacob is amazed because he's experienced God, and as you said, he. He dedicates him. He's he's been seeking God for that as all his life. There's no there was no Bible back then. He knew of his father and his grandfather's experiences, but he hadn't had this type of experience before. And so now God has made a covenant with him, and so he's pledged himself. He's going to tithe to God as Lord, and he's dedicating himself to the Lord now. Now that he has this personal experience. We just had a nice long talk about <laughs> all the history of uh, Jesus uh, uh, dying on a Wednesday and being raised as soon as Sunday starts, which we would have called Saturday night. And that makes Jesus correct because he said he would be in the earth three days and three nights and most of church tradition wrong. But I've talked about that multiple times and that just took us probably 15 minutes and we're not going to do that here. Um the uh, well, the things that stood out to me. So Jesus, uh, when just as when he was in front of the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin, when uh, Pilate asks him if he's king of the Jews, he he actually talks like he was being pretty silent in front of Pilate too. But he says, "Yes, I am." He, when that direct question is asked, he gives a direct answer when he's uh, in this court setting. Um, and then was struck me. I was a Christian for years before I saw somebody else make this point. It's so obvious once you see it. But uh, Barabbas represents us, mm. right? He was a sinner. He was guilty. He deserved uh, punishment. Mm -hmm. But he got set free, and Jesus took the punishment on himself. Right? Mm -hmm. See that? And then you see again, the chief priests are... They're proclaiming the truth, even though they didn't know what they were saying. They were saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down off the cross. And they're mocking him. But that's exactly what he does, right? Three days later, that's what he's going to do. Um, and then he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the, the most difficult time for Jesus ever. Because it's more difficult than when he's sweating blood in the garden. Because he had the presence of God with him throughout all the difficulties that he went through. He had the presence of God with him. And then he had to taste, he had to experience just the, the worst of this punishment. And so he had the presence of God... Um, was all of a sudden gone from him. And, and that was worse than everything he experienced in his flesh. They had whipped him. I mean, he was all a bloody mess at this point. And then they nailed him to a cross. So he's going through excruciating pain, but none of that was as bad 
as when he all of a sudden was disconnected from the Father. And so when we see that, we should see what's truly important and how I want to be as connected to the Father as Jesus was, right? That's what Jesus offers us, this ability to be connected to the Father that makes everything that we experience in this world of less importance. You know, we're not going to be pinned on a cross like Jesus was. But even if we were, it it's not so bad as long as we have God, as long as we're connected to God. You see the life he's calling us into? He's mm-hmm. calling us into that life. And then we see the curtain is torn and the earth shakes and the rocks were split. So this is a picture of God breaking the veil. So the veil was in front of the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, right? Mm-hmm. At least originally. Um, and so that represents the presence of God that you couldn't go into. Only the high priest could go in and only once a year. But now Jesus has become our high priest and he's made it in so that we can come into the presence of God daily if we come into his life. And so, and then we see the dead rise. So just a picture of when this veil is torn, all of us are dead in our sins. But then we're able when he, and we see the shaking going on. So these these things are all going to happen. They are happening in our day. We see the shaking happening. And now, but people waking up from the deadness of the world and coming to the life that he has made available as the veil has been torn and we can enter into his presence. I don't know if I ever said that was Matthew 27, but now we'll do Esther 4. So a couple things stood out to me. For one, Esther is just really a picture. I I mean, she's obviously a, a picture of the bride of Christ, but more so, I think, the the sons of God called up into the presence of God. Because you see the difficulty going on out there for the people, and she's completely unaware of it. But she cares. She comes down. She sends for Mordecai. I think Mordecai kind of represents the Holy Spirit. He's advising and training and leading the way. Um, And uh, so, and then Mordecai gives this, probably the most famous line of the book. Um, Where where did I? Oh, but before that, um, but see, she can't enter the king's presence without the scepter. We, We see this. Um, for instance, in Psalm 110, we, we see the scepter. We see the people, uh, the uh, many mature sons of God who volunteered entering into this presence. Um, and so it's just a, a picture. Jesus provides for us uh, this access to God. And so, um, you know, then Mordecai gives this famous line about how do you not know that you were put in place just for such a time as this? And so, again, he's giving the instruction for her to go on and live the life that God had assigned for her. Does that make sense? Okay. And so, and then she calls an, a fast for three days and three nights. What did we just say? It's, it's amazing how all these things come together. Um, how long was Jesus in the earth? Three days and three nights, right? And so, and then that establishes, if you've heard us talk about the, uh, the holiday of Purim, which is coming up, it's probably the next holiday, I think, uh, on the biblical calendar, but it's, you know, it's, it's a more minor holiday. It wasn't established through Moses. It was established because of Esther. 
That's exactly the point I was going to make in Acts 27. Um, um, Paul is the spiritual leadership on the boat. Mm-hmm. The The earthly leadership is the captain, the centurions. Like, captain is the captain of his boat. It's his boat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have the Roman leadership, the centurion. Uh, I guess he's in charge. Um and so you have these levels of worldly leadership, and but who knows most about sailing? It's the captain, right? Mm-hmm. So they, you know, so they do what the captain thinks. Was it the captain that decided it? Okay, apparently the centurion was in charge, but because the the pilot, the captain, thought, uh, and the owner, I guess two different guys, um, thought they could make it, and they're the experts of the sea, right? So they should know, and probably, usually, they would be right, but. Paul is there being led by the Spirit, and he knows things that they don't know. And uh, and so then he later stands up and basically testifies, look, this is the truth. And they become kind of a picture like, um, you know, Noah was saved in a ship while everyone else perished, right? Mm-hmm. The angel tells Paul, I will give you everyone on your ship. And then, but if this, these people, remember the people tried to leave and escape, he said, they you know, they will perish if they're not in the ship with you. Paul is basically providing protection for all those that he's on the ship with. Even though he's a prisoner in the natural, in the spiritual, he's God's anointed leader in that situation. Mm-hmm. Make sense? And then he carries favor. The centurion starts to pick up on these things. And then the other people want to kill the prisoners, but the centurion has has realized that <laughs> Paul is not a man that I want being killed. And so, um, and of course, that's his orders as well. But, you know, Paul basically has favor from the Lord to do what the Lord needs him to do, which is to be in Jerusalem. Rome. And you're right, Rome. I said <clears throat> that recently, didn't I? You want to end it for us? Say goodbye. God bless you. Goodbye. Goodbye. God bless you.